Our text this morning uh, is, is an interesting text, and uh, you already know that I pay attention to, to particles, uh, to connecting words, and, and you've noticed that Luke uh, is concerned about history, and so he throws in comments and, and, and people that verify his story, and it's interesting that our passage uh, is tied to the previous one because it says, uh, after the angel had left her. So after the angel left Mary, telling Mary about uh, this new child, uh, then this follows. And, and Mary gets up to go to see Elizabeth uh, at this point. And you'll notice in our text, in, in 1 verse uh, 25, uh, sorry, in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. So in Elizabeth spent five months in seclusion. In the sixth month, the angel sends this announcement uh, to Mary, and then Mary gets up and goes to visit Elizabeth. Uh, maybe Mary needed to get away out of the limelight because of her pre-marriage uh, pregnancy. Or maybe she wanted to support Elizabeth in her last trimester. <clears throat> we don't know. There is no apparent rebuke here from Elizabeth to Mary for getting pregnant. Uh, she seems only to be affirming. Uh, and, and both women appear to graciously accept the roles assigned to them. The passage that Gerald read uh, contains uh, two parts. Uh, the first is the meeting between Mary and Elizabeth taking place in the hill country of Judea, uh, somewhere outside of Jerusalem. We're not sure exactly where. And, of course, from Nazareth, it was a, a three-day journey of about 80 to 100 miles. So it's not that I know everything. It just I had noticed this. That's why I said 130 kilometers. There's reason for my, my answer. Uh, this meeting uh, actually demonstrates Mary's obedience uh, since it reflects her desire to, to go and see firsthand or to observe the sign that the angel had given her in verse 36. So she hurries to obey God and to see what he is uh, undertaking. Now this event maybe poses very little significance on the surface. But for Luke, it's actually a major literary bridge since the two major characters of the account, John the Baptist and Jesus, both meet symbolically through their mothers. Let me say that again. This may not seem terribly significant on the surface, but really the two major characters, John the Baptist and Jesus, meet symbolically here through their mothers. And I would say that John the Baptist already starts pointing to Jesus even from the womb. Just as 1 verse 15 to 17 had predicted. So let's, let's look at some key points in our passage. <clears throat> and I have four. First of all, the Holy Spirit. You'll notice in 1 verse 41 that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm going, so what does that mean? Is this presence? Uh, what's, is there an outcome that I'm supposed to notice? Is her proclamation of blessing upon Mary the result of her being filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and so, what does it mean that she was filled with the Holy Spirit? 
The remark about the Spirit filling Elizabeth is crucial because it indicates that her remarks and emotions are directed by God. Now, I, I don't want you to miss this because I, I think that, that when I allow the Holy Spirit to guide my thoughts and my words, they are of a certain character and quality but when I don't allow the Holy Spirit to guide my thoughts and my words, they're of a different quality. You see the difference? And, and, and I, I've sometimes had to confess that, that I have not brought life in a conversation. I have brought the opposite. Okay? The Holy Spirit makes the difference here. It, there's an enticing omission. The text never tells us how Elizabeth knew that Mary was expecting a child. He leaves that for you to ponder. How did she know? Uh, and maybe that's part of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and certainly this adds mystery to the account, to the event. As we read Luke's account and what we've read till now, we can't miss the frequent times that the Holy Spirit shows up and fills someone for a God-ordained task. I think that's fairly clear how frequently it's the Holy Spirit that shows up and fills a chosen individual for a task. Zechariah was also later filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 67. Uh, the text in verse 15 says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth on. Of course, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary in verse 35 and his power overshadowed her. Uh, later on, Simeon in uh, chapter 2 verse 25, moved by the Holy Spirit, testifies to the coming Messiah. So we have all of these events where the Holy Spirit shows up and empowers, speaks through, and uses the individual. And I want us to reflect on the fact that after Pentecost, every single believer has access to the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. So, so, so when my words and my thoughts and actions are this instead of this, I can't say, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to me, and he only comes at special times to special people or whatever. I, actually, I, I, I don't have that excuse available to me. As a believer, I need to continually seek the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. That needs to be my daily prayer, uh, because I need to give him control of my life, give him control of my actions and my words and my thoughts. The second thing in this text that I'd like to highlight is the concept of blessing. And, and we have it here. Uh, there are three blessings in, in Elizabeth's response to Mary. She blesses Mary as God's chosen instrument. She blessed the child that Mary was carrying. And she blessed Mary for believing God would fulfill his promises. It's interesting because, again, we have this parallel. The mother of John blesses the mother of Jesus. And later, John the Baptist blesses and introduces Jesus in his ministry. So you have this parallel. And I would say that both Elizabeth and Mary are part of a long line of blessing and faithfulness. We can go quite far back. I could mention Noah, Abraham, or we could read that list in the Hebrews chapter 11. And then, of course, there's us. Because we're part of this continuum. We part, we're part of God's story of blessing and faithfulness. Alongside her amazement, 
Elizabeth's amazement is the lesson of Mary's blessing. As it says in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is actually the first beatitude in this gospel. In Spanish, it's bienaventurados, blessed, blessed. Why is someone blessed? Why are we blessed? Because, as Luke says, as a major theme in his gospel, God does what he says. He accomplishes what he says. Rich is the blessing that comes to those who share and believe in that truth. When God steps into our lives, we should rejoice and trust that he will do what he has promised. In fact, Mary will be honored from now on by all generations, not because she is special, but because she is a model and representative of what it is to experience God's grace and mercy. I think Mary's feelings are fairly clear. God owes her nothing while she has received everything from him. And her story actually illustrates how God treats others. So she goes on to indicate that her story can be repeated a thousand times over. That includes you and me. God's mercy, as it says in verse 50, extends to those who fear him. This mercy is his loyal love. God's love is faithful and gracious. If you want to see mercy defined, God's rescue of the humble and his bringing down of the proud shows how he cares for those who trust him. Love, mercy, and loyalty are all key interconnecting attributes of God. So the thing that Elizabeth emphasizes is Mary's faith. Blessed is she that believed. Because Mary believed the word of God, she then also experienced the power of God. So Mary and us was favored, not entitled. There's a difference between being favored and entitled. And you and I are favored, not entitled. Let's not miss that. Thirdly, Joy to the world. This text has a major theme of joy in it, just like everything in Luke so far. Now that Mary knew that she was to become a mother and that her kinswoman Elizabeth would give birth in three months, she wanted to see Elizabeth so they could rejoice together. Joy is a major theme in this section. With three people, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and Mary, all rejoicing in the Lord. The presence of Jesus brings joy even though he is still only a fetus in the womb. The second part of this section is Mary's song, uh, often called the Magnificat. Mary pours out her soul and she rejoices as she shares in these events. There's joy. There's another interesting parallel uh, with this text, and that would be a parallel between uh, the child bearers in Genesis chapter 25 and this passage, although there's a significant contrast. Whereas Jacob and Esau battled for supremacy in the same womb, here John rejoices at the superior role that Jesus possesses by leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb. 
His attitude is totally different. Peace and joy reign among those who serve God as each understands his or her place in God's plan. John the Baptist leapt for joy because he understood God's plan for him and he understood his place and he rejoiced in it. The sense of privilege and favor at being used by God finds fresh expression here. In fact, Elizabeth knows that God owes her nothing. And yet she is amazed at God's involvement with her. In asking, why am I favored? In verse 43, she understands that she is but a humble beneficiary of God's grace. It's probably pretty hard for us to appreciate the walk of faith that Mary is asked to take here. In the midst of it all, however, what overwhelms her is not the risk of appearance and relationship with its potential risk to her reputation, but the joy of serving and being involved with God. There's joy. There's joy. And finally, last but certainly not least, God figures in our passage. You look at the song that Mary sung, the Magnificat, and it's actually divided into two parts. In the first part, verse 46 to 49, uh, Mary looks inwardly, and you see this me, this possessive me, my, God has done for me. And humility is not necessarily ignoring yourself or groveling or self-abasing or in low German, me as it nushed. No, no valgo nada. It's not that. Mary is willing to own her own situation and God's will becomes her will. That's the humility here. And then Mary goes on in verse 50 to 54 to focus on God. And I love it that it, it's just littered with he, his. It, God is the mover and shaker. God is the one who makes things happen. And Mary seems to have a depth of character, to have understood and accepted what was happening to her. Her hymn is a story not only about herself, but about all who fear God and are the objects of his mercy and grace. Mary's song also reveals God's character and his attributes, not as abstract expressions of holiness, mercy, and saving power, but in concrete relationships with people and in the detailed working out of their lives. God is intimately acquainted with and concerned about the, the specific details of your life. God's attributes are meant not only to be understood and worshipped, but they are to be experienced as well in the everyday affairs of our life. And as she concludes her song here, Mary reflects that God fulfills his promises to Abraham because of his great mercy. And, and we're part of that fulfillment of God fulfilling his promises. So let's do an introspective heart check. Luke aims at the heart with his text here. Believers must take God at his word. Do we take God at his word? Man, today it is just brutally difficult to figure out what truth is. 
especially if you happen to watch the news or look on social media. It is a challenge. But, but you can take God at his word. And, and maybe we need to take our eyes off of that other stuff a bit more and look at the truth of God's word and his promises more. Because I'm thinking that that's a safer foundation, a more solid foundation than the quicksand of all of the other noise. Believers must take God at his word and be amazed at his involvement with the details of their lives. God is involved in the details of our lives. God owes us nothing, but we who have trusted Christ owe him everything. And those of us who know God and his grace can well echo Mary's song here. No, none of us will have the honor of giving birth to the Savior of the world, but we do have the blessing of becoming one of his children. That's an amazing blessing. And notice what causes Mary to be grateful. In an age where we expect so much as a matter of personal or human rights, we develop an attitude that much is owed us. When we are merely inward focused, how we can give or serve is not a high on our priority list. So today, as we contemplate the experience of Mary and Elizabeth, let us long to be filled with the Holy Spirit and earnestly seek his guidance in our lives. That doesn't mean trivializing or glossing over the challenges that are sometimes in front of us, but it, it means that we have access to a higher power and that the Holy Spirit is willing and able to guide us through. Today, let us recognize that we are truly blessed as heirs of the promise, as co-heirs with Christ, and as recipients of God's amazing grace and mercy. We are truly blessed. We are truly blessed. And nothing can take that away from us. Today, let us be filled with joy as we look back at Christ's coming some 2,000 years ago, and as we look forward to his second coming. I feel like I've been praying more uh, recently, come Lord Jesus, come. We can be filled with joy at his coming 2,000 years ago and at that promise, that sure promise and commitment that he is coming back. And today, let us remind ourselves that God is the great mover and shaker, the great creator and sustainer, the great savior, and he continues to work actively in our world and in our lives. Today, let's do that introspective heart check to see if we can echo with Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I trust that this week, as you go through the week, and as you celebrate with family, and as you celebrate Christmas, that your song will be, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let's pray, and then I'll get Andrew to come up uh, with me. Lord, we, we echo that song, I need thee every hour. We need the filling of your Holy Spirit. We need that spirit of trust in you and your purposes and to recognize that we are blessed. And then our lives should be just overflowing with joy. 
so that we can also be alike to those around us. Father, during this Christmas time, uh, there are those who are lonely. There are those who have not yet uh, discovered the truth. And so we ask that you would use us to be a light to those around us. And we ask that you would also fill us with your spirit and your joy uh, to that end. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, Andrew, let's see if there are some comments or questions. That might have been me. No, that was definitely me. Okay. Um, yeah, nothing yet. Um, so, but okay. while we wait, uh, something uh, that I was uh, thinking of, just the, we talk a lot, and rightfully so, I think, about how tough a position Mary was in, the, the social stigma of being pregnant, the, the hard journey, the whole context that she's in of how difficult it was. Um, and I often think of her position as one of quiet acceptance. Like, all right, I'll do that. It's, you know, like the, uh, I have to do this and, and I'll do it and I'm committed even though I know it'll be tough. But here we read just about how, how joyful and, and uh, how pumped she kind of is about it. Like this will be, this is such a cause for joy. And I often don't think of that as Mary's perspective, but that's what it is. And that's just, uh, it's remarkable to me how, for lack of a better word, how joyful she can be even in circumstances that we know are very tough and, and how to have that same perspective, right? Yeah, and then later we have that, that prophecy that, that a, a sword will pierce your own soul. Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the reminder that, that this is also going to be tough, um, and probably an allusion to Christ on the cross, um, uh, so there, there were some hard times down the road, but, but certainly in our text today, both Elizabeth and Mary uh, are filled with joy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I wonder whether, in part, that's a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I, 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 can't, I cannot wrap my head around, and I won't get into it at length, but how many of the early Anabaptists and, and many of the first early Anabaptists died before their 30th birthday. They were young university students. They were burned at the stake. They were martyred. And, and many of them went to their death preaching. And, and, and the, the kind of faith that carries you through to the end in an experience like that is, 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 is mind-boggling. And, and I, I think that the Holy Spirit and His filling equips people for extraordinary things. Uh, so, so my prayer, our prayer should be, Holy Spirit, fill me. Use me. Yeah. That's already a, a massive answer to this question, that indwelling of the Spirit. But uh, what advice do you have as how we can experience joy in our current world of negativity? Uh, this may sound flippant, I don't mean it to be flippant, because I think it's a serious question. Um, but I think, in part, it depends on what you focus on. If I've, and that doesn't mean, again, let me reiterate, this is not like I hit my finger with a hammer, and then I say, praise the Lord, my finger's broken. I, I don't think that that's, that's the attitude that I'm suggesting here. Uh, what I'm saying is that, that, I can, I can choose to, to wallow in defeat and in the circumstances, or I can choose to 
recognize that God is still sovereign and he's above the circumstances and that he won't leave me or forsake me and he'll carry me through. So I, I think it's, it's not an, a denial of this, but I don't stay here. I, 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 right? Mary had the right to be a virgin and have a good reputation. God asked her to give these up. What right is God asking us to give up? That's a question that I'd like to just leave out there. That's a great question. That's a great question. And, and that question has to be answered by every single individual. That, 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 that I have to answer when I ask God that question myself, for me, that's a question you ask God as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. That's great application. Yeah. Just a, a follow-up to the previous one. We're told to praise him in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's uh, all that's there. Okay. Um, I just had a call. Uh, this is not... Uh, just, I thought it was really cool, the idea of, of still in the womb, John and Jesus having this meeting, and I'd never considered it that way, but you totally see how Luke symbolically places that, of like, here are the two, one obviously greater than the other, right, but the two great men of this time that will shape uh, Israel retroactively, their past and their future, in, in crazy ways, and there's this, this meeting as they're still unborn that's like, this is important. You watch out for these two. I, just, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I've, I, I've come to see, I used to think that John the Baptist was just supposed to prepare the way and, you know, done. And, I, and I've seen the connection between them actually a lot earlier and a lot later. Because uh, John the Baptist also, when he is beheaded, it's then where Matthew does, does a pivot in his text and Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. And so he's now headed to the cross. So, so that connection between the two um, is, is fairly significant. Ministry is yep. linked yep. in more yep. ways than we sometimes think. Yep. Yeah. Anyway.